Hey everybody, it's four-time Miss Figure Olympia Nicole Wilkins, and you're listening to Life After the Crown with Tim Pialdo. Hey everybody, welcome to the Life After the Crown podcast, where each episode I bring you useful interviews with former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who are now succeeding across many different industries in the real world. My name is Tim Tialdo, lifestyle entrepreneur, pageant host, author, and quite honestly, somebody who just wants to help you become a better person overall. Now, if pageant life is over for you, or it soon could be, and you're wondering, well, what do I do now? Or what's next? This podcast is designed to help make the transition to real life and the school of hard knocks a little bit easier for you to handle. So if this is your first time listening, thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're with us today. Let's get started. We are joined today by a royal member of the fitness world. She is a four-time Miss Figure Olympia and three-time Figure International Champion. Her fame in the fitness world has taken her all over the world, from Spain to India, Australia, and even Finland. Her name, face, and physique are idolized by women all over the globe. She has a combined 2.4 million followers on social media, and she's been featured on the cover of 18 magazines, including Oxygen, Fitness RX, Flex Magazine, and Muscle and Fitness Hers. She's been sponsored over the span of her career by Metrex, Six Pack Fitness, Cybex Workout Equipment, and everybody from Arnold Schwarzenegger to Dwayne The Rock Johnson make sure they pause to get a picture with this lady when they see her. She now has her own supplement line called N-Power Nutrition, and she also runs her N-Power weekend fitness camps all over the country each year for women of all ages, sizes, fitness levels, and goals with the idea of helping women feel and look their best and to inspire them to lead a healthy lifestyle. She's a very good friend and someone who personally has helped guide my fitness and nutrition journey over quite a few years. Nicole Wilkins, always great to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much. That was probably the <laughs> nicest introduction I've ever had. <laughs> you know, I hear that often. I always love to make you girls feel like uh, you are rock stars because let's just be honest, you are. If you've got 2.4 million followers, I think you qualify under the rock star status. Well, thank you very much. It's, it's great to be here. Well, you're welcome. So let's uh, kind of go back to the beginning. Um, you know, obviously we've talked about the, you know, you were on top of the world for quite a while there, but I want to go all the way back to your childhood. Now, you did ballet when you were five and then you moved on to dance and cheerleading and gymnastics. So at what point did you say, you know what, I think I want to try fitness and get into that? Yeah, well, gymnastics was my life for 13 years. Um, and then I had two knee surgeries when I was in high school. And those were the years that the colleges did all their recruiting. And to be quite honest, I really just didn't have the desire to do another four years of gymnastics in college. So I started weight training throughout my recovery from the knee surgeries and fell in love with muscle on women. Like I've always really liked that look. And I knew some fitness competitors who had gone into the fitness world after their gymnastics career was done. And I kind of followed along in their footsteps and was inspired by them. So I watched my first professional show in 2002 at the Arnold Sports Festival, which was called the Arnold Classic then. And I watched the fitness international professional competitors compete at the finals. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I totally want to do that. I can do the routine. I have the gymnastics background. I just have to figure out how to get my body to look like that. So in 2003, um, that's when I entered my first competition, and, and I literally prepped for it for about eight weeks. So I decided I was just going to – it was something I had thought about doing for years, 
a couple of years at least. And um, I had my best friend at the time who was a professional dancer on the Detroit Pistons NBA basketball team, put choreographed my routine in her backyard on the grass. And <laughs> I ordered my competition suit out of a catalog from this store called Max Muscle, which isn't even open anymore. Oh, yeah. And um, it was by a company that isn't even around anymore. <laughs> it was it was crushed black velvet, and uh, I don't I don't recommend anyone wear crushed velvet <laughs> on stage. Uh, so it was popular back then, and um, yeah, I had uh, my boyfriend at the time help me prepare for it. So, like I said, I prepared for eight weeks, and I just cleaned everything out of my diet that I was currently eating, including alcohol, and I lost probably 15 pounds, entered my first show and did fitness. So I had, um, I read Oxygen Magazine a lot. It was probably one of my, still to this day, but there was a woman on the cover and she was doing a one-arm cartwheel and she had this one-shoulder red pleather top. And I thought, man, that'll be great for my routine. So I went to this uh, seamstress who did costumes for dancers and I showed her the photos. She created the costume for me. I paid $100 for it. And the music was Christina Aguilera and Justin Timberlake. I don't know if you remember that song, uh, Dirty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I went up. I, you know, I got my suit in the mail, and I never showed my dad. I, I showed my mom. Because if you see these suits, they're so tiny. But, yeah, my friends came. My family came to support me, and I ended up winning. But I was the only competitor in my class. <laughs> so Hey, well, congratulations. Was, <laughs> yeah, you know, that was the start of it. That was what... I caught the bug. I just really enjoyed the entire process. I loved the way that I was able to transform my body through exercise and nutrition. And I had that goal and that competitive outlet that I was missing from not doing gymnastics. And then I just continued from there. So I've yeah, I've been competing now for 16 years, which is pretty nuts. Well, you said that uh, at one time you saw a particular look that you liked and you wanted to look like that. Was there some particular athlete that you idolized or followed or said, you know, she's kind of my, my vision or my goal? Uh, well, in the beginning of my career, the people who were doing really well were Susie Curry, Anna Lovell, uh, uh, Monica Brandt, you know, all of those girls, Tamea Maharova, they were all, uh, you know, people that I looked up to, they were all in the magazines, they were all on the covers, they were all competing at the elite competitions, worldwide international competitions. So when you would go on the internet, you would see their photos. And that was definitely the body that I was trying to emulate. Do you remember the show Body Shaping on ESPN? I never actually saw it, but I remember hearing about it. <laughs> I remember Monica Brandt was on it quite often. So that's why I ask. So hey, when you were 15, yeah. um, I know that you tore your meniscus in your knee. And then a year later, you did it again. Now I think at for most people, that's it. You know, we're done. It's like, I'm not going to do much hard stuff anymore. But obviously, you went on to do some really big things. So I guess my question is, uh, especially at that age as a teenager, how do you find the willpower after two humongous setbacks physically to say, not only am I going to continue to move forward, but I'm going to go after a, a world title and I'm going to go after, you know, everything I possibly ever dreamed of? Well, if you know me as a person, I'm a very stubborn person. Um, no. I think it could be a good and a bad, <laughs> good and a bad thing. <laughs> But I honestly, when I have my head set on a goal, I will do whatever it takes to make it happen. I just remember when I injured my knee the first time, it was kind of a slow progression. I know it was, I knew it was like locking out and getting stuck uh, for a while, but I was able to maneuver it and continue doing everything I was supposed to do for the sport. But it got to the point where I couldn't even straighten my leg all the way. And I was so young at the time that they ended up stitching it together. So when they stitched it, I was in a mobilizer for six weeks, and that recovery was probably at least a half a year long because I lost so much muscle on that left leg. 
So when I was able to do gymnastics again and then at tour again, I remember just being so angry that I felt that same pain in the same spot. I thought, I am not going through this whole thing again. Thankfully, the option the second time was to just remove the portion that was torn. So I was able to get back into um, athletics within a month or two. As long as it didn't hurt, I was able to do it. And the recovery was much faster. But yeah, I, I just knew at that time that I needed something else to keep myself focused and uh, keep myself motivated because I wasn't going to do gymnastics in college. I was cool with that. I was totally fine not continuing on with that sport, but I felt like I needed something. And when I found the sport of fitness, I actually felt, wow, this is something that I could be pretty good at. You know, I feel like I have potential here. Although in the beginning, I never thought I was going to be where I am now. I thought I'm just going to take it one show at a time. And if I could get myself in really great shape, it could help me with my personal training business. So that was a mindset. Well, let's talk about that shape, you know, uh, and obviously, you know, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are uh, pageant contestants, former pageant competitors. Now, when you look at yourself in the mirror, obviously you have a more uh, what I would call a muscular physique and frame. And when you were younger, I think as a female, you know, every woman looks themselves in the mirror and says, I like what I have. I don't like what I have. I think I need to do this. Being a someone who came from a gymnastic background and had a little broader shoulders, if you will, how did you kind of view yourself and what you wanted to do with your physique? Yeah, I was always kind of uncomfortable with my body because I was more muscular than most of the other girls. I, I had bigger legs from being a gymnast. I had more muscular arms and shoulders from being a gymnast. I think that actually started becoming something I was self-conscious about when I was in elementary school because I remember distinctly at at school and um, during recess and one of the guys was commenting on how big my arms were and I took it very negative. I thought, I don't want my arms to look big. And so for years I would cover them up and I would hardly ever show them. Even in the beginning professional years of my fitness career, I would do that in the off season because I felt like everyone sees your arms first and that was what they would judge you on as far as whether or not you were in good shape. So that was always, that was my goal just to, have good arms <laughs> and you know Guns. I just wanted to be yeah I wanted to have like that definition where someone would kind of look at you and think holy cow what does she do genetically I'm fighting against you know I can put on weight very easy so I've had to always be very careful with what I ate and I have had to train harder than most people would have to in order to lose body fat and stay leaner so if, as a younger girl, you know, hearing a guy say, oh, she has bigger arms, there obviously had to come a point uh, during either your career or, you know, maybe even into your 20s where you said, I actually like this look and this is what I'm going for. Was there a, a moment that you could remember where you kind of made that paradigm shift? Yeah, when I got more into social media, because when you are getting involved with social media in the beginning, it can be very hurtful at times, especially if you are a muscular woman, you'll have comments from people, I'm not going to say men or women in particular, both, that will comment out of maybe their own insecurities or just being judgmental and say things like, you're such a man, why would anyone want to look like that? Why would anyone want to be with someone like that? You know, they really do say some hurtful things. And at first, it really bothered me. It made me second think, second guess everything I was doing, and is this really the look that I want? And then I, over time, as bad as this is, kind of got numb to it. 
and realize that most of the time when people are saying things like that, it's coming from something that they are already unhappy with that has nothing to do with you or what you're doing. So as long as you are happy with yourself and believe in what you're saying and doing, that's all that matters because there's no way you can ever please everyone. So when you stepped on the stage for the first time, I mean, you know, in your in your little velvet scrunchie outfit that you bought for a hundred bucks, <laughs> what yeah. what was I mean, what was your vision? What were you thinking? Where was this going to lead for you? I had well, I knew I wanted to be on the Arnold stage, and the Arnold stage was a professional arena. You had to qualify. You had to be a professional first and be invited to compete there. Um, I had a long way to go because the way it works in the NPC, which is the National Physique Committee, it's our amateur organization. You have to win in your state at a national qualifier. You have to place top two in order to qualify for nationals. And at that point, there's seven national shows a year that you can choose from. And each national show has different judging criteria as far as whether or not you become a professional. So you either have to win your class, win the overall, be the top four of six overall winners. Um, sometimes at the larger national shows like USA's and nationals, the top two in each class will achieve professional status and then be a part of the IFBB, which is the International Federation of Bodybuilding. It's really difficult because at nationals, you're competing against the winners of every single state in the nation. So you'll have, you know, sometimes 50 to 100 girls who are the best in the nation competing against you in your class. So it's it's much more competitive. Um, some girls compete at the national level for years and years before they get the pro card. So I had my eyes set on getting my pro card, but I wasn't concerned necessarily as far as how long it would take me to get there. I knew that if I just kept improving every single time I went up there and I had fun doing it, I kind of set my my sights that that far, not not years ahead. Well, I think what's interesting is you you know you mentioned going to that national show. Um, and I can parlay this to pageants as well when the state title winners go to, you know, Miss America or Miss USA. Uh, I'm sure there's some intimidation involved uh, in just thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, the level of talent that I'm competing against here is a lot higher. Mentally, how did you handle that and, and overcome it? Well, the first year I competed, I qualified. And in the sport of fitness or bodybuilding, just because you qualify for nationals doesn't mean you're ready to be there yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is a mistake a lot of people make. They they get really big heads because they've been winning or placing really well in their state. And they go into nationals thinking that they are the best in the world already. And then they end up getting smoked. And that's exactly what happened to me. So I was coming from, you know, wins in my state consistently first, second, and going into my very first national show in 2004 thinking, I look awesome. How could I not win this? <laughs> you know, And I was probably one of the last 10 people of, I believe there were 65 girls in my class around that. And I was devastated. I was just, holy crap, I can't even believe this happened to me. I'm kind of embarrassed. I'm still the last one on the stage. Last call out is not a good thing. But at that show, I, I, I actually had an opportunity to talk to the head judge afterwards, and which you really can't do that much anymore. Um, but she sat down next to me and she said, Nicole, you have really great potential but you need more time in the gym. So she just in a, in a, roundabout, a roundabout nice way said, you need to spend more time improving your physique before you come back 
And that's what I did. I took almost two years before I came back to Nationals again. That word that she said, does that hang in your head for years as a, as a positive when somebody says, hey, you have potential? Definitely. Absolutely. Because when you lose, you think, oh my gosh, how am I ever going to get where I want to be? Like, am I, do I have what it takes? You know, you kind of second guess what you're doing. But now, I mean, looking back at that show, I, my hair was curly, which I'll never do again. <laughs> um, I, you know, I had that crushed velvet suit on still. I had, my tan was not dark enough. I was way too soft. Like I could have lost a little bit more body fat getting up there. My posing was a little off, um, which is something that I made sure was perfect from that point on. So it was a learning experience all around. I would never take that that weekend back as much as it sucked in the moment. (laughs) Well, you mentioned your posing. Now, um, as you progressed through your career and, you know, won the world championships, one of the big things that I know that you have always been known for and basically have been the best in the figure world is your posing. How did you go about perfecting that area of your, your competition. Thank you. Um, yeah, stage has always been something that was very comfortable for me. I, I'm not sure why, because no other sporting background I had had me up on stage, but I think it all stems from internal confidence, you know, how good you feel about the way that you currently look and feel. And I just used that when I was up there. I kept, I practiced a lot. So I would practice the same exact moves with the same exact steps in between each move so the transitions were very smooth. And I videoed myself a lot. Every year I kind of perfected my stance a little more or I twisted a little harder or I positioned my hand in a different spot just to, you know, improve it as much as I possibly could. So earlier in the years, you'll see that my legs are maybe straight or um, I don't quite, quite twist as much. But then over the last probably 10 years, it's been very consistent every single time I walk out there. It's, it's pretty much the same exact routine. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's right. Exactly. So when somebody sees you and they say, well, how did she get there? Did you have a mentor or did you just watch YouTube videos or how did you go about perfecting that posing? You have to think back 16 years ago, YouTube really was not that popular. There wasn't social media like there is now. There wasn't as many outlets that you could you know, go to for help. Um, I think I just learned on my own, <laughs> right. just watching other girls do it. And um, yeah, just perfecting it every single show, thinking about how I could improve it even more. I did work with a couple really well-known coaches in the, in the industry, and they would give me feedback and critiques. And um, I did take progress photos multiple times a week. And during my progress photos, you know, it's a snapshot in time. So being able to hit your pose fast and hold it, in, you know, for a photo um, is also really important too. So that helped. But yeah, just consistency. Well, I know you worked really hard to get to the top. Um, I think it was 2009. You won your first uh, Arnold competition. And, and sure enough, there he is. Arnold walks across the stage and hands you a trophy. What was that like? Well, I knew that the winners of every Arnold had been interviewed by him himself, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger himself. So I had a feeling if I were to ever have won that that could be a possibility. And usually during pre-judging, if you're in the first call-out, it's a really good sign. If you're placed in the center, that's a really good sign that you're probably one, two, or three. And after pre-judging, knowing that I had a chance at winning, I was rehearsing whatever I was going to say <laughs> in my head before finals, just in case. Um, but he's really, he's a really nice guy when he is in front of you and he's very calm. And I think that kind of brings your heart rate down just a little bit. And I just kept thinking to myself, just 
talk slow, take your time, and don't say anything stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seemed to have worked. And, and for some reason, you know, all the uh, Hollywood action heroes seem to like to hang around you, uh, you girls who are in shape on stage. Uh, I know The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, mm-hmm. um, has something yep. uh, very intimately in common with you, and that's uh, who you work with. Talk about that. Yeah, so uh, Hani Rambat is my trainer for the Olympia, and um, he actually wor- works with The Rock. And, yeah, so we definitely have that in common. So he, he knew of me through Hani uh, last year or the year before, um, and I was preparing for the Olympia, so Hani would mention that I was getting ready and so on and so forth. So The Rock and his production company was at the Olympia that year. That was in 2016, and he was backstage, and I happened to be walking right by him backstage when he was there. And I stopped him, and I said, hey, my name is Nicole. And he looked at me and was like, hey, almost like he had known who I was. And I, oh, my God, I made my, made my entire year. <laughs> <laughs> Life. So, yeah, right. So I just said, hey, would you mind taking the photo? Very nice. Um, Yeah, it was pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. Well, so let's get down to some good stuff here. Now, a lot of women listening, they want to know from an expert, a world champion, you know, how do I maybe not necessarily look like you, but how do I get in great shape, you know, build a lean, sexy physique and stay in shape? I think it's it's that question that I'm sure when anybody calls you for nutrition advice, it's the first thing is, you know, how do I either you know, get great legs or a tight butt or how do I get my arms to have some definition like you talked about earlier? What do you kind of do to assess how to help them? Well, this is the hardest part about fitness because not one program fits all. Every single person is different, has different needs, likes, uh, physical abilities, uh, experiences, whatever it may be. So we, I do a lot of one-on-one conversation. You know, what experiences have you had? What are your goals? Are they realistic goals? Because sometimes people come in with a photo that they want to look at, uh, look like, and it really is near impossible for them to achieve. So we have to kind of make sure that whatever they're they're shooting for is a realistic goal. The biggest takeaway is every program is going to work. Every diet is going to work to a point. So people only think about right now. So right now I'm going to follow this diet and I'm going to follow it for 12 weeks. Okay, well, what are you going to do after the 12 weeks is over? Is what you're doing right now something that you can sustain? Because I think the biggest thing that will be important for you to lose it and keep it off is consistency. And if you don't like what you're doing every single day, you're not going to last. One of the things that I, I've seen, you know, I worked in the fitness industry for 10 years, uh, emceeing, as you well know, and now I've been in the pageant industry for, for quite a while now. And I see a, a new crossover that has happened. And that's when uh, the IFBB decided to bring the bikini category into play. I now see a lot of pageant contestants who are now crossing over and competing in bikini mm-hmm. in the fitness world. What is the big difference when you go from, you know, kind of a pageant physique to now more a fitness physique in terms of what is required of you, uh, I guess, from a work ethic standpoint? Um, I would say, like, from a work ethic standpoint, the the training is probably very similar, depending on where you're starting from. So if it's a larger, more muscular bikini girl, then I would have them do a lot more higher rep circuit training style stuff because we don't want them to get any more muscular. If it was a smaller bikini competitor that needed more muscle and more shape and definition, then I would have them almost lift like a traditional bodybuilder. So I would have them lift heavier with maybe some supersets, a few uh, few circuits, but lower repetitions with heavier weight. 
So it really depends on the individual, but you know, I, I personally don't know the pageant rules, but from what I have seen on TV and from the internet, the pageant physique is very similar to what would be uh, a bikini competitor's off season. So it's a little softer, still in really great shape, almost uh, where the magazines would want you to be for a photo shoot, mm-hmm. where you have you know lines in your stomach, but not you know six pack abs. You just want like the flat stomach with uh, shape to your glutes. You don't want to have things you know moving too much. You want to have a tight athletic build. In bikini, you can have a little bit more definition, so the body fat would be a little bit lower, and that would be the only difference. So, what's the biggest misconception that you see a lot? You know, I know a lot of women come to you and say, "Hey, can you help me?" What What's the biggest misconception that a lot of them have about getting into great shape? That it's easy. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I think, you know, there are often times where I'll have people that have a lot of progress that they need to have made before they even decide to do a contest prep. Like to do a contest preparation, you have had to be eating a healthy diet already. Um, you know, maybe four to six meals a day consistently, you know, understanding what portions are, measuring your food, cooking more at home. You have to be working out a minimum four times a week. You have to know how to structure your plan. Like there has to be some type of, you know, experience level before you jump into a competition prep. To me, a competition prep is like the extreme. If you are just getting back into the, into the game, you know, you haven't really been working out that much. You haven't really been following any type of nutrition program. That would be where I would start. And then consistently follow that for months, you know, maybe even a year and then when you feel like you have a good grasp, then you're ready to take it to the next level. Now, you're yeah. somebody who, you know, over the, the course of your career, I mean, you've put on a good amount of muscle. Anybody that sees your photos today, I mean, you know, you, you're, you're stacked. We'll put it that way. Um, but <laughs> I think a lot of women think if I even pick up a weight, I'm going to look like her. Go, yeah. go ahead and uh, handle that one, if you will. <laughs> if you guys have the magic potion to be able to gain muscle by lifting one weight, let me know because I have been working – for 20 years on doing it and I still haven't been able to do it right. But no, I think, you know, there's a few factors that play a role into it. Um, I've been lifting heavy weight for over half my life and I have only taken at the longest time throughout that entire time, maybe a week off. Genetics play a role as well. I tend to build muscle easier, but I have a harder time losing body fat. So my metabolism is not genetically fast. I have to really work at it. So I think there's a lot of factors that play a role into how you look. Okay. <laughs> Don't be afraid. It's hard <laughs> to build muscle on women. Well, hey, let's shift from the physical to the mental side of things a little bit. Now, many of the women that I have on this podcast, you know, they are a champion in their own right. You know, we have Miss USA's, Miss America's, um, and obviously you were four-time Miss Olympia, three-time Miss Figure International. And, you know, you know what it's like to be the best in the world. And, you know, to defend your title year after year and kind of have to come back and keep competing. So can you tell everybody listening from a mental standpoint, what have you found is required to stay on top? That's a great question. Uh, I would say the drive. You have to have a drive behind it um, in order to keep it. Because it's one thing to come into the competition as an underdog with no expectation, um, no prior wins to lose and just going in and having a great time. I remember when I was doing my very first Olympia, that was my mindset. I ended up, I had no expectation. I had no idea how I was going to do. I ended up, you know, placing around the top 10 
But then the next year, I knew what to expect, and I set my goal at top five. I thought, I think it's fairly realistic. I can come in better than I did last year, which was always my goal, to be better than last time. And then I still had no expectation. I felt like the prep went perfect. It was so smooth. Everything happened exactly the way it was supposed to. And I just felt so confident going in there. And I ended up winning it. It was almost like the stars aligned. (laughs) And then the next year, I started second guessing everything. I thought, oh my gosh, I can't change this because if I change this, then it's going to affect the way I look. And, you know, I I was so nervous and overanalyzing everything and just really not enjoying the process. And I ended up losing it. So the next year I had that drive back and I just kind of it, that's, it's just all about trying to improve, staying in your own lane. It's easy to get distracted by your competitors. And one thing that has helped me is knowing that no matter what I do, I'm never going to be able to look like someone else, just like they are never going to be able to look like me. So focusing on what they're doing is a complete waste of time when I could be focusing that energy on what could make me better. And that has really helped me out the last probably five or six years in, in the industry. So you win your first one. Obviously, you know, there was a drive to get there and finally get on top. But, you know, you win your second one, your third one. What is the drive, you know, when you were going after your fourth Olympia, for instance, to stay on top? I mean, what kept you, um, I guess, passion-wise ahead of your competition? Well, I had a really, I had a really hard time between 2000. 13, um, I'm sorry. So I won in 2009. I lost in 2010. I won in 2011. And then in 2012, it was like my body hit a wall. Things were not responding anymore the way they were before. I had been dieting consistently for years and I, I looked the worst I ever looked on stage twice in a row. And yeah, I was sponsored at the time, and my uh, coaches and manager basically pulled me aside. Even the judge pulled me aside after the show was over and said, Nicole, I don't know what is going on, but you have got to fix this. And if you can't fix this, you probably should retire. Because if you go into the Olympia like this, you'll place out of the top six. And that was huge for me because you don't want to have uh, a world title winner going into the Olympia trying to retire retain that title and look worse than ever before. So I knew I had to change something up. So I ended up hiring a, a, I ended up hiring Hani at that time and we just completely revamped everything and just the change in, in my programming and my training and my nutrition gave me this fuel where I thought I want to give everything I have to prove everyone wrong who thought that I needed to retire, that I was done because at that time, I was not even 30 yet. I mean, people are competing in their 40s, and you're telling me that I'm, I need to retire? Like, there's no way. So I, I knew I wanted to just come in and sup- shock the heck out of everyone. <laughs> I just wanted to look better than they've ever seen Nicole, and that was my drive. That was my drive going into that show. And then 2013, I ended up winning it back, and that was exactly what happened. It was the coolest feeling I'll never forget just walking on stage and how you know you can hear everyone say, "Holy crap! Like, where did she come from?" Because just last year she looked like garbage, you know. So <laughs> a year can make a big difference. Yeah, I do remember that Olympia, and yeah, you did uh, wow the crowd. I mean, they were they were in awe of your physique at that time. Um, you mentioned um, competing for the Olympia, you know, the other side to it, and that is 
uh, learning how to lose and deal with it. I know you had some epic battles over the years with, uh, uh, let's take Aaron Stern, for example. I know you two went back and forth for a couple of years with the Olympia. That became quite the rivalry. So how did you handle loss when you are on top and come back from it? I mean, loss sucks. Any way you look at it, it doesn't feel good. But if you never lose, then you'll never learn. And I think the biggest learning moments I've had in my career were from losses, not necessarily from wins. So the losses have always made me more hungry to get the title back. So I I welcome the losses. But yeah, I mean, you can't, I've never been one to blame a loss on anyone else except myself. And I think that's what a lot of competitors do. They blame it on the judges. They blame it on the other competitors. They blame it on their coaches. But you are responsible for what you do. So I've always looked at what I could do better and why I lost because that's what happened. Well, one of the benefits of everything that you've been through in your career and winning, obviously, uh, was something that we mentioned off the top of the podcast, which I know a lot of girls are interested to hear about. And that is the fact that you have done 18 covers of, uh, you know, in, in many regards, some very major magazines that if you walk through any grocery store, or any airport, you will see. A matter of fact, <laughs> you remember just last year, I was walking through, uh, I think, the Denver airport. I found your cover of uh, Oxygen that you were on. And then I ran into you in the Dallas airport. And so it's right. it's got to be fun to be able to say, you know, I was on Oxygen. I was on Fitness Rx or Muscle and Fitness Hers. What's it like to go through that experience of finally seeing yourself as a role model, as opposed to looking up to somebody else and saying, I want to be like her. Yeah, you can have yourself on a million covers and it's still surreal. It's really awesome. You know, when I first started in in the industry, that was all there was. And if you were in a magazine or on the cover, you had made it. You know, there wasn't an Instagram, uh, Insta model where you got publicity from having a million followers. It just wasn't that way. So being in a magazine was huge and really important. And uh, the first time I was scouted was in 2006. I was actually at a competition because the magazine, the fitness magazines ended up were they covered all of the um, national shows and the IFBB shows. So I was approached by the um, the editor and the creative director of Muscle and Fitness Hers, and they ended up shooting me um, that like six months later. And then I ended up shooting pretty much every year, multiple times after that. So I just created a good relationship with um, the people I worked with. I always showed up in shape. I showed up on time. I was very easy to work with. I think that's, you know, there's a million models and not all of them are the look that they want. So that narrows down, you know, a pretty good chunk. And then not all of them have very good personalities. So that narrows down a bigger chunk. And then there's not, you know, a lot of them don't show up on time or show up in shape or can actually do the exercises so that narrows people down. So, you know, they have a, hand, a small handful of people that they can choose from. <laughs> so sure. you have to stay in great shape. You have to, you know, create those relationships. And I always would email the editors every year and let them know that I was going to be in their area or if they were looking for a model to keep me in mind or I was going to be around uh, the month after the Olympia if they had any spots and wanted to shoot. Um, sometimes I would... Like in the most recent years, I, I hire photographers to create my own imagery for my own uh, brand. And I will have images that I own that I will actually send to the magazine and say, hey, you know, I have this cover shot. Would you be interested in using it? So there are ways that you can 
take advantage of, you know, being in the magazines. Unfortunately, they're, they're kind of few and far between now, but it was a really awesome experience for sure. Well, let's talk about, you know, kind of the result of that. You know, when you're on 18 covers of magazines, whether it's just in the fitness industry or not, um, when you hit a magazine like Oxygen, um, you've now transcended your industry and you've become mainstream. And so you're a face and a physique that, you know, women worldwide look up to. Um, and you, you've experienced fame on, on, a, on a pretty solid level. I mean, you're, you're rubbing elbows with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sly Stallone and Dwayne Johnson. And, you know, I know when you go to these expos, I mean, you literally have lines out the door of people who just want to meet you, shake your hand, get a picture with you. And, you know, for a, a ton of girls today and, and guys, too, fame is a big thing that they are aspiring to get. But you've experienced it. So I just honestly give me your perspective on what fame is like to go through. This is probably going to be disappointing, but I, I am just like every single woman listening to this podcast. I am a normal girl who cleans my house and cleans my toilets. And, <laughs> you know, like I still have all of the normal responsibilities. I think with, I, I, I guess, I mean, I don't really know if I would consider myself famous. But I think that's really flattering. That's really cool that you're saying that. But I think of myself as just a, a normal girl who had big goals and was able to reach them. I think coming with, you know, with that comes a lot of pressure at times um, because you do have yourself placed on this platform where you are responsible to be an advocate for health and fitness and, you know, talk the walk to talk that you are trying to get everyone else to do. So there is pressure, of course, coming along with that, but the pressure just becomes part of your life, I suppose. And you get used to it a little bit more. Well, how about this? Was it worth it? Oh yeah. Everything was worth <laughs> it. The ups, the downs, the goods, the bads, it was all worth it. Sure. Well, so, you know, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, I mean, across all of your social media profiles, I mean, you have 2.4 plus million followers. So I guess my question to you is how do you go about maintaining enough content, you know, material, photos, videos, blogs, behind the scenes, contests, challenges to satisfy all of the different channels and fans? I mean, it's got to be overwhelming at times. Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Social media could be a job on its own. 24 hour job. <laughs> its own. Um, I'm on social media quite a bit. I do have a couple more people helping me out now. Um, not with my own personal channels, but with the camp channel and with the, uh, the nutrition line social media. So they, they do that. But with every single one of the platforms, we have a, a weekly kind of layout uh, as far as what we're going to be posting each day. And that really does help to have kind of a schedule um, because there are a lot of things that I do promote, but I don't want my social media pages to be one big promotional tool. I want it to be a social page as well, where I'm interacting with people and I'm actually talking about real life things and, um, you know, posting photos of myself training at the gym and not just, hey, buy my challenge. <laughs> you know, So <laughs> I think there has to be there has to be a mix between that. And there are days where I just can't think of anything to post. I'm going to be totally honest. I just or I just don't feel like posting. And I think that's okay. I think that if you have times where you're just not inspired to post anything, it's better just to take a day or two and then post again. Um, so that way it's authentic and not forced. So let me ask you this, a couple of things. Do you have specific apps that you use to schedule, like, you know, like a Hootsuite or a Meet Edgar or Latergram? Do you use any of those types of scheduling apps? Um, I don't. We can actually could probably get on the phone after this and you could give me all of your tools, but I am very old <laughs> school. <laughs> I prefer paper and pen, to be honest. I have 
notes everywhere on my desk. Um, I do write them down in notes on my phone and then on my on my computer, but I'm very old school. I do it that way. Or like Word docs, stuff like that. Now, do you have a, a limit for yourself that you will allow yourself to be on social media every day? Because I think one of the things that I know a lot of people uh, are fearful of if they become famous is I literally am going to have to be on social media 24-7 to satisfy my fans and be able to respond to things and take care of things. I mean, how do you go about your daily regimen of you know, spending time on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or YouTube? Yeah, I, I check it in the morning. Um, and then I usually only post once a day. Um, sometimes I'll post twice, but usually only once a day. And I answer questions as they come in. I answer comments as they are written. And I mean, we have a marketing company that we work with and they, they will tell you it is best to respond to every single comment that you get. But sometimes when there's 300 comments, it's very hard to do that. So you just do your best. Um, and then with the messages, I I do respond to probably 75% of the messages. If it's some creep that's sending me, you know, photos that are inappropriate, obviously I'm not going to respond to them. <laughs> sure. But yeah, it's, it can it can be overwhelming for sure. Yeah. Well, let's get into one of the things that, uh, if I'm being quite honest, it's one of the, the things that I greatest respect about you because there are a ton of people, fitness world, pageant world, you know, Hollywood, whatever, that have a huge following. But most of them, cannot figure out how to monetize it, how to find success and actually use it to, you know, grow yourself professionally, uh, you have figured that out. Um, and I always tell a lot of people, you know, influence, aka followers, doesn't mean success, but you have figured out how to take your, your 2.4 million followers and build a business. You've now built your uh, Power nutrition supplement line and your Empower, uh, your, your fitness camps that you do all over the country. Talk about how you kind of made that evolution from, oh, I've got followers to, oh, how can I actually make money and, and you know, a career out of having these followers? Well, my, my career was started as a personal trainer. I owned a gym years back with uh, an ex-husband, and we owned a gym for about five years together until I moved out. And at that point, I started doing, you know, subcontracted training, and I would tr- I would travel a lot with the magazines and sponsors. But I knew that with the competitive world, it wasn't going to last forever. So I needed to set myself up for whenever that was going to be done. Um, I relaunched my website back in 2013, and we created a members mem- a members section. So it's a subscription based where we post two to three new pieces of content, whether that's um, a day in the life of what I'm eating, uh, recipes, it could be a uh, complete workout, it could be um, how to travel with food. I mean, there is probably close to 450 videos there now, and we continually post two to three times a week. So that was like the foundation of my brand in the beginning. Um, but then, you know, as the years have gone by, it, it's kind of stabilized because there's a lot more free information as far as video content. YouTube is becoming a lot more popular so I needed to find some other avenue because, you know, eventually all of these people are probably not going to be members, you know, 15 years from now. I have no idea. I, could, I didn't want to rely on just that. So I started doing challenges. Um, I find that people just need help. They need, they need help. They need um, guidance on where to get started and a program to follow because it's so confusing you know, what nutrition plan do I follow? Do I do low carb, high carb, carb cycling? Do I do keto? Do I do, you know, whatever it may be. So as a personal trainer working online with clients, I can only handle maybe 30 to 40 people at one time. 
And that's not a lot. There's a lot more people in the whole world that need help. So with the challenges, I create the plan. Um, I do all the calculations. I create all the meals and different options for different heights, weights, sex. Um, I create the workouts, the in-home workouts. We've done video demonstrations for every single exercise. We do uh, cardio workouts, high-intensity interval. I, I mean, it's, it's very intricate and very laid out cleanly, so it's easy to follow. And we give prizes for the people who make the greatest transformation. And so we run four, about four or five of these a year, and every single one of them is different, which is awesome because – it's more fun for me as a trainer to be able to do that and come up with new plans, new meal plans, new workouts, and people do more and more challenges. So there's you know, a few girls who have started our challenges from the very beginning and have continued to progress every single time they enter. And their body is totally different now, but for a year and a half, they've been incredibly consistent following these plans. And I can, I can reach thousands of people doing these. So once we started doing the challenges, I, I would say probably a year after um, I was, so I was a Metrex athlete for five years. And when we parted ways, I had the opportunity to either become another sponsored athlete, which is typically only a year or two contract, and they could let you go at any time. I could be, uh, I could work with a company and have a licensing deal where I would get a percentage of product. They would basically use my name and likeness as, and create a Nicole line, but I wouldn't have a say in the marketing or that creation of the product, or I could take my life savings and dump it all into creating my own nutrition line, where I would have a say in the name, the labeling, the manufacturing, the creation, the ingredients, the flavor systems, the formulas, everything. And that's exactly what I did. So it took probably a year, almost two years. It, it shouldn't take that long, but we ran into a lot of bumps in the road doing it on our own. And um, I'm really, really pleased with the final product. And we're still continuing to improve on it. Um, but we launched Empower Nutrition in October last year. So it's a little over six months old. And we're already putting another purchase order. And we're expanding the line and creating new flavors. And it's super exciting. So we've kind of overlapped the challenges with the nutrition line and incorporated the products into the meal plans. It's not necessary, but it has really helped just kind of expand the brand a bit more and um, give people good quality products that I know work and that I trust, trust and believe in. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now with the industry. And then the, the camps I started, I took over four years ago from Jen Hendershot. And she was two-time fitness international and two-time two time fitness Olympia champion. She had been running the camps for over 10 years. And she was at a point where she didn't want to continue with the camps and needed somebody to take them over. So she asked me if I'd be interested and I jumped in with both feet and I took over the camps. We do anywhere from 10 to 12 camps worldwide every year. We go, we're going to Germany this year. We've been to Australia, Canada, mostly domestic, um, but they're women only three day weekends where I teach you everything that you could possibly want to know about fitness and wellness and nutrition. Um, and it's just a really fun weekend for women to get together and bond and just kind of get out of their normal life and spend time with women who live similar lifestyles and just get get it. Um, it's very inspiring and motivating. And, and we leave just our hearts are so full from the whole weekend. It's, it's a lot of fun. So we're in the middle of that right now. So that's kind of 
that's a fun way for me to get out of the office, sure. <laughs> you know, meet the people that I, I um, talk to on social media or do my challenges or who are members on the site or who try my products. You know, I get to shake their hand or give them big hugs when they walk in the door and I just get to know them as people. And um, yeah, it's just, it's fun. Fun. So yeah, that's my my business in a nutshell. Well, and I know you you said you do a lot of domestic visits in the states to a lot of the cities around America. If somebody listening mm-hmm. wanted to go to one of your camps and meet you and, and go through the three day weekend, where do they go to to learn the information and, and sign up? Yeah, so the website is npowerfitnesscamps.com, and there's seven camps left this year. So we have four more in a row, and we go to Michigan in two weeks. Then we go to um, Brentwood, Northern California, Chicago, and Salt Lake City. And then we have a little bit of a break. And then the last two camps of the year are Berlin, Germany, and we're going to go to Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. Well, hey, before we go here, I want to ask you a little bit about your supplement line because, you know, obviously the supplement industry is a massive industry. It makes billions of dollars a year. And I know that being in the fitness industry, you've probably had just about – Uh, well, not every one of them out there, but a lot of them, and you know what's good and what's not. Obviously, there is a lot of junk out there. So when you said, okay, I'm going to create a a supplement line, what were your thoughts as to how you could be different and the reason that you would succeed? Yes, we started with three different SKUs. And I say we because, um, you know, it's a team that really works together to make something like this happen. I, I had a vision to create a weight isolate that was sweetened with stevia and monk fruit, so naturally sweetened. It uh, was grass-fed. Isolate is something that, okay, so there's multiple different types of protein powder, but an isolate is the fastest absorbing. It's the cleanest form of, you know, a protein powder that you can get. Very low fat, very low carb, high in protein. So, you know, per uh, 24-weighted gram scoop, there's 20 grams of protein. So it's super high quality. Yeah, so I have two different flavors. I have a vanilla, vanilla cupcake and a chocolate truffle. And then the branch chain, branch chain amino acid is something that helps with muscle recovery, but we also added electrolytes in it, which helps with hydration and, you know, stamina throughout your workout. And then I added collagen. So there's collagen one and three, which is good for hair, skin, nails, bones. Um, So I wanted to add that because for years I was taking those supplements separately. So I thought, why not take them both at the same time? And um, I don't think there's any other branch chains that have a collagen complex in there. Um, so that's what sets mine apart of two flavors, is peach mango and a banana passion fruit. And then probably the most favorite and popular is uh, my multivitamin because it has an adrenal support. So the adrenal support can help with um, you know, mood, a healthy metabolism. It's, uh, you know, for years I was taking an adrenal support along with a multivitamin separately, but there is no other multivitamin on the market that has both uh, in one. So it's been probably the most popular product of the three. And we're looking to probably create a pre-workout next. Um, and we're going to add a probiotic to our protein powder, which will be even better because we have a digestive enzyme in there, in there right now. I think a lot of people who take protein powder have a hard time digesting it. Maybe it causes bloating or gassiness because of all the crap that is added to mm-hmm. products that is unnecessary. Um, so we added, uh, well, our pro- the product is very clean, but we added a digestive enzyme in there to help you break down the protein. And we're also going to add a probiotic in there for gut health. So yeah, I'm super, super excited. Well, that's very cool. And a good luck to you with that. I know you mentioned earlier that, you know, one of the big things that you see most women uh, who follow you on social media are looking for is help. And I know a lot of girls listening are saying, you know, I, I wish she could help me. 
Are there routines, workouts, plans that you have online that they could either, you know, download or purchase so they do have something that they can actually, you know, hang up on their refrigerator and follow and say, okay, I actually have a beginning and an end. I know where I'm going with this. Yeah, there's a few different options. They could become a member. Uh, The membership is less than $10 a month and you can cancel at any time. And you'll have access to hundreds of workout videos, meal plans. Uh, We do, you know, special uh, I don't want to say events, but for the holidays, we create a holiday workout calendar where we have links to workouts so you know exactly what to do every single week throughout the holidays. It'll tell you what your workouts are each day. There's a calendar, so you can put that up on your wall so you know exactly what to train, how much cardio to do. Um, and then if you have any questions or need additional help, there's a forum that you can go on and answer questions to myself and my training team. We're on there 24-7, so you can ask us anytime. Well, very cool. Well, you're doing a lot to change the world, and obviously, uh, you know, you inspire millions, and, uh, you know, women all over look up to you and say, you know, if I can be like Nicole Wilkins, uh, it's going to be a a pretty great life. So thank you for taking the time to uh, share everything. I know we probably dug into some stuff that you've probably never talked about publicly today, so I appreciate you being willing to do that. Yeah, thank you. It's always great to be on podcasts just to – I mean, maybe if I said one thing that someone could take away and help improve their lifestyle in some way, um, that would be awesome. Yeah, this is really great. Thank you. Yeah, well, no doubt. Well, I look forward to chatting with you. I'm sure I'll see you uh, here coming up this year. So good luck with your camps, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Ted. That is today's episode. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast. You can do so on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, the podcast app, Google Play, or you can just go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And by the way, if you're still involved in the pageant world and you're wondering, well, what is Life After the Crown going to look like for me and how do I prepare for it? Well, I highly encourage you to download my free Life After the Crown starter guide. It's a quick read. It's going to give you a great blueprint on how to start planning now and not when it's all over. So to get it, just go to timtialdo.com slash starter guide and you can get it there for free. And for weekly podcast updates, don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Tim Tialdo. Until next time, remember the words of 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Until next time, God bless.